Hey, friends and listeners, this is Amory Zanzel, and you're listening to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA Plus Stories Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm Barb Rowlandson, and Emery, we are now deep into season four of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast, and congratulations on what has turned out to be just a fantastic season so far. And no thanks to you, Barb Rowlandson, my brand new producer who is kicking ass in this podcast. <laughs> so I want to thank Barb and all of our guests and listeners who make this podcast so special. If you're new to this podcast, let me fill you in a bit on what we do here at Coming Out and Beyond. This is a podcast devoted to sharing stories of real people, primarily women, trans, and non-binary folks who have made the brave step of coming out maybe early in life or maybe later in life. And later in life, it's a subjective term. I mean, we have guests on the podcast that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. And they're from all walks of life, and they've discovered in their life's journey that they aren't quite as straight as they originally thought they were. And the lovely Anne-Marie here, our podcast founder and host, brings her signature compassion, wisdom, and insight as she interviews guests, creating a safe space for them to share their stories. And Barb, our podcast producer and occasional co-host and guest, and maybe in the future, a host, joins us regularly for the first time in season four adding fun, dimension, and a different perspective to topics surrounding the coming out later in life process. So if you're someone who is later in life and early in the coming out process, here is where you are gonna find inspiration and some great advice and a glimpse into the joy of what it means to come into your authentic sexuality. So relax, kick your shoes off, grab a cup of coffee or tea, or maybe your favorite libation, put your headphones on and join us for the next half hour or so to listen to another great true story about coming out later in life and what lies beyond. Hi, this is Amory Zanzel, and welcome to another edition of Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA plus stories. I am so excited to welcome today Linda and Lisa from the Lesbian Couples Institute. They work with with lesbian couples who are learning how to navigate relationships (laughs) and how to stay together, how to strengthen their relationships. And I would love to hear your story today. So we're going to do something a little different instead of doing tell me your story. How about you tell me your story collectively, Linda and Lisa? Uh, That'd be wonderful. Well, thank you for having us. We're we're both slightly nervous and super excited to be here. It's really (laughs) great um, as therapists to be asked to tell our story because that doesn't happen very often. (laughs) So I would love to hear your story. Okay. Yeah. So it goes way, way back. We actually met because we're both therapists and we worked in the same group practice and we met in 1997, mm-hmm. um, 96 or 97. And our offices for much of that time were right next door to each other. And mm-hmm. so we became really good work friends. And um, Linda was my confidant as I hashed out all the struggles in my um, heterosexual marriage. Mm-hmm. At the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was, I actually at that time was in a relationship with a lesbian. So I'm, I'm a lifelonger. Um, I, I 
realized that I was lesbian when I was in college uh, at Baylor University, nonetheless. So, oh I my gosh, bless you, to, my child. Really had to go under. <laughs> well, I felt like I had to go underground at the time. Kids were getting kicked out of the university if if they were caught in bed with a person of the same sex. Mm -hmm. um, so I I was in a relationship when we first met when we were colleagues. Um, mm -hmm. Lisa, you were married to. I was, and I did a traditional for heterosexual women, um, marrying right after college, uh, during mm -hmm. college, having some children, that marriage actually ended and I was in a second marriage, um, mm -hmm. to a man, to a man, um, really struggling with that. Um, mm -hmm. I had been aware of attraction to women, but really from afar, I, you know, mm -hmm. I would fall in love with, uh, my child's babysitter <laughs> or something. She wouldn't know she would be married to. So you um, had a lot of unrequited catalysts then. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And really I was very distant from that. And um, I think I must've been raised that it was all about men. Mm -hmm. um, not a surprise. And um, so it took me a while to drop some of that and begin to open my mind after those relationships were not working for me. I always wanted them to act like women <laughs> and they would not. And my then, ex, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was going to fast forward, but, but say what you're going to say about your ex. Oh, my ex-husband always said to me, Amory, if you want that, you need to be with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shatter, yeah. Foreshadowing. And I'm not talking anything, but beyond like emotional communication. Yeah. And stuff like yeah. That. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so Lisa, I'm going to pick your brain up just a little bit. So, okay. because you're both, you and I are, uh, you know, we both came out later in life after being married to men, mm -hmm. uh, Linda and my wife, Tonda are, you know, both lifelong lesbians figured it out in college and, and began to live their lives that way. So what was like the turning point for you? Like, what did, did something happen that made you say, I can't live this straight life anymore? Well, what happened was I fell in love with my best friend who was mm -hmm. Linda. Mm -hmm. And this happened after my second divorce. Mm -hmm. um, I had complained about him for many years to her and she listened and listened and supported me. But then after, when I was single, our relationship began to feel very emotionally close. And I began to feel jealous of her relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. And then right. it dawned on me that I wanted something very different in my relationship with her than I had had with other best mm -hmm. friends. Mm -hmm. And so this, this was fast forward to 2005 when yeah. this was happening. She had been single for about a year and yeah. Right. And, and so we got even closer. Right. And so it was falling in love with Linda and then really learning over time what that means mm -hmm. to be in a relationship, a lesbian relationship. Linda, what was it like for you? Because, you know, there's that that old trope that, you know, oh, she's been in straight relationships. Like, mm -hmm. should I go out? Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, people are just like a lot of times people coming out later in life are experimenting, though. I think that narrative is changing these days. But certainly back in 2005, that narrative very, very much existed. So how did you feel about all this when you're starting to realize that you guys are developing more than a friendship? I think some anxiety. I mean, I, I was also falling in love too. Yeah. So all, all those chemicals are on board, which, which were just very magnetic. Um, I, I was in therapy with a therapist that kept saying to me, you know, 
remember the chances mm -hmm. are this isn't going to work out. And I would hear that week after week. And at so, so I had a lot of doubt at first, but as our relationship grew over probably that first, I don't know, 18 months, that my anxiety started to diminish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and we were we were in our early forties at the time, and so we um I I had done the the U-Haul move in kind of thing, and I was determined to do it differently this time, and and to really keep enough separation home wise that that we would have time alone to process and think, and um, we actually didn't move in with each other for almost three years. Wow. And so that that was different for me and really helpful, I think, too. So mm -hmm. our relationship just had the opportunity to to deepen slowly More over time. Mm -hmm. There I remember one time though when she came to my house and said, I, I don't think I can do this. And and that was a kind of mm -hmm. a catastrophic uh 24 hours for both of us we, we both mm -hmm. ended up in but it was just 24 hours yeah. and I came back and said oh yes I can <laughs> I can do this and I want to all right so a couple of questions um Linda <laughs> why was your therapist saying this isn't gonna work I'm just no, I th she was quite a bit older than me so she was already probably mid-60s at the time mm -hmm. and <clears throat> very heteronormative. We were in a small town. We weren't in Denver yet. And I just think the bias, you know, the, the not understanding the, the, what we've come to talk about is sexual fluidity from, from mm -hmm. many women. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Sherry understood that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think she was just cautionary because she, she, if there was going to be a fall, she wanted to be softer. Um, so j just ignorance. <laughs> well, well, you know, it's funny because my, les I, so my therapist, my marriage therapist was actually a lesbian with my ex-husband and I, uh -huh. and it, you know, the universe kept throwing lesbians in my path. <laughs> I did not choose them based on her sexuality, at awesome. all. but mm -hmm. it was like a couple of years, like it's seriously, like she was a great therapist. So even though it was in her home, I never like made the connection that she was gay and um I'll never she was very invested in saving my ex-husband's and I's my relationship mm. so when I like was coming out to her for the second time mind you there's a whole long story behind that um she was like well you can have mixed orientation marriages and stuff like that and again mm. It was of a, she was actually married before too, but back in the late 1960s, she was about 20, 30 years older than me. Um, mm -hmm. And I think she just couldn't wrap the concept that people mm -hmm. have in their 40s. Yeah. <laughs> you I know, think it, that might be true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she just yeah. couldn't wrap her head around. All I think that. that's mm -hmm. the case for Sherry. Yeah. yeah. And she was a lovely, Sherry, her therapist was wonderful as well. We both. Yeah. I mean, my her, therapist was outstanding. But yeah, she did that. and in a number of years, she stopped saying that, and and right. she and we would <laughs> chuckle about it, and and she understood that we we developed a, a really secure relationship. Lisa and I did, and mm -hmm. so she she finally realized mm -hmm. that you know this isn't just a phase for Lisa, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty early on. The yeah. other thing that kept us um, going slow, I think, was that I had two daughters. I have two daughters. One mm -hmm. was in high school and the other maybe had just she graduated from high school or was just about to. Um, and Linda, um, Linda is wonderful with young people, all people really, but 
so they loved her from the beginning and they accepted the relationship very quickly um that's a funny story it, it, <laughs> I guess so yeah and and so what was, what was I saying oh so they were in the house and it wasn't that big of a house and so Linda having a house somewhere else was really perfect for all of us mm-hmm. for a number mm-hmm. of years so Lisa, you said something that you came, you guys had 24 hours where you're like, I don't think I can do this, which is really, really normal in LGBTQIA mm-hmm. identity development in which like around mm-hmm. the first or second stage when you're, you know, it's like, there is a lot of back and forth. Like I remember telling my wife like nine months into our relationship, I don't know if I'm gay. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> for nine months now. we're going into bed together and you're telling me this yeah, yeah. she's like what <laughs> but and at the time this was before I was doing any of this I didn't know that that, that was really normal to have like questioning periods mm-hmm. so could we talk a little bit about that for people who may be listening who may be in their first queer relationship and all of a sudden there's a lot of like I don't know if I can do this I don't know if this is right can you talk a little bit about that for yourself Okay, for myself. Um, You know, I think that an awareness of what it means to live as a lesbian in, in this culture, Mm -hmm. and in the world, is not something that I was very aware of, as when living a heterosexual lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of what happens is we bump up against um, problems and, and prejudices and people that we love telling us we shouldn't be doing this. Um, one thing at a time. And we have to deal with each incident and figure out what that means for us. And even now, when I work with young lesbians in their 20s, there's a lot of this where families are not quite accepting. Um, it's, it's, It's a different role in society than they expect it to have. And one will be more comfortable with it than the other. Mm hmm. In a couple. Um, In a couple, yes. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that um, I initially came out to my family very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, My my reasoning, different than Linda, was that I grew up in California, moved to Colorado when I was in like middle school. And so there was a sense of progressiveness in the family. And we had other extended family members who were uh, gay. And so I came out thinking that, oh, this isn't such a big deal. And it dawned on me slowly and still does to this day why it's difficult because my, my head says, what do they think? You know, what are they thinking, you know, negative things about me? Or even if, if someone reacts to you in a way that is off-putting, you don't know why. Mm-hmm. And so those things mess with our heads and make us think, maybe I don't want to be this. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a quick question. Uh, you know, maybe I don't want to do this versus maybe I don't want to be this. Talk Mm. a little bit more about that. What that means. Mm. Um, I think for women, in my case anyway, where um, we were previously married to men, even in dysfunctional relationships, there's a sense of um, we're doing what society tells us we should do. Mm -hmm. And um, then when we try to have a relationship with a woman, even though it meets many of our needs so much more completely, there is the sense of I'm choosing this. For Mm -hmm. me, there's a sense of I'm choosing this. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really think that is true. I think this is part of who I am. 
Mm-hmm. And, but there's a small voice in my head that will say, you can do that other thing again. Mm-hmm. If this gets too hard, you can do that other thing again. And I yeah. think that's one thing that is scary for my partner is Lisa could change her mind and not now, not after 18 years. No, hopefully not after 18 no. years. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also, I've always fallen down that, like the, the choice isn't whether to be LGBTQIA plus the choice is what you're going to do with it because you don't have to come out. You don't. I mean, for some people that would be extremely difficult to do, but there's Mm -hmm. loads of people that have done that for centuries. And so, but that's where the choice lies. The choice lies on what you're going to do with it. And like, for me personally, after having been in a queer relationship now for seven years, like to, I could never go back to being in a straight, I, I have no desire, no interest. Like I, like, you know, I just couldn't, even though I did it for a long time, I feel like that person in a lot of ways is gone. You know, the person that was Mm -hmm. in that, I mean, Mm -hmm. pieces of her still exists within me, but I always say that my lens on which I look at the world changed. Exactly. Like how I saw the world just totally changed Mm -hmm. once I came out, even though I considered myself a very good ally. uh, (laughs) I mean, I, and like, and also too, I just want to mention Lisa, sometimes too, like I I've had clients that come from very extremely progressive families Mm -hmm. and young, you know, in their late twenties or something. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was going to be an absolute and they're really sort of stunned Mm-hmm. even how their progressive parents react to the news that their child is not straight yeah you know so I it's agree. that's really yeah. super yeah super super typical unfor- unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 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 and and I, I've just got to ask a curious question of curiosity and then we can move on to the, the wonderful <laughs> world here. Linda what was it like for you going to Baylor like my wife like you know her mm-hmm. first her first lover was with the her her prayer partner in the Baptist student you <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, it, You're at Baylor. Oh yeah. my gosh. That was a, so it was 1982, I think. Yeah, same um, age as my wife. Absolutely. 1982. Yeah. I was 19 years old and it was, it was scary. It was, I, I felt very alone. It was the first time I sought out counseling. Mm-hmm. And luckily it was it was a seasoned therapist. It was one of the psychology professors. And mm-hmm. even though at the time Baylor was super conservative student body-wise and, and value-wise, they hired some not not some liberal professors. And mm-hmm. so I was very fortunate that, that I ended up in the office of a liberal psychology professor who helped me make sense of what was going. Mm-hmm. going on with me because I mean I was I was even confused as to what what is this and what does this mean and I was very sheltered my parents were Southern Baptist missionaries oh very, wow very sheltered growing up didn't even really have the language they were, so, saying, they were the don't say gay before, <laughs> before I was out there yeah um, like so um m- my wife has described it is like, she didn't even like, she was Southern Baptist too. Yeah. Um, she didn't even like think that she, her girl, her girlfriend was Ruth, that Ruth and her could have a relationship. Right. She no, thought right. it was so wrong. Right. And like, she also like talks about like the, 
like the first time that like they had like they expressed their attraction to each other that she like walked away thinking oh shit my life is not gonna be and she thought she was gonna go to hell yeah yeah so all of that everything was underground we didn't so I was in a relationship with Anna for three and a half years the Mm -hmm. the 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 rest of college and one year after that long distance really had the belief that that when we would separate our ways and end up falling in love with men and um of course that didn't happen well another thing is that we sought out the council of a who we thought was the most progressive baptist minister in in waco and and he was not great i mean he he said i i understand that homosexuality exists and God loves you and you can't, you can't act it out. Right. So that was the message. You you can be gay, but you can't have sex. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it was, it was difficult for me in my coming out process with my family and all that's really different than Lisa's. I, I was, when we were first together and she was like, Oh, I told the girls, Oh, on this vacation, I told my mom, everyone knows. I'm like, how did, I mean, that happened within a few months and it, mm-hmm. my, it took me years and years to come out to my family. Well, I can um, imagine. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Baylor was, was a challenge. Well, I think it's really wonderful that both of you have these perspectives as, you know, lesbians running a lesbian couples institute coming from a very, you know, a, a you know, a lot of gays come from very traditional, yeah. <laughs> you know, religious. Yeah. I mean, like, unfortunately I will never be out of business. Um, just because of, you know, like 80% of all women who come out later in life typically come from conservative religious backgrounds. And so, you know, I will never be out of business, unfortunately. Um, so tell me what was the genesis of the, the, the lesbian couples Institute and tell me about the work you do. Yeah. Thanks for asking. And, and by the way, your listeners can, can find out more at lesbian lesbiancouplesinstitute.com. So at the time we were living in Pueblo, Colorado, which is a smaller, smaller town. Our daughters were in the Denver area. Um, I happened to be in a a master mentorship group of other therapists. I was just starting and we had toyed with the idea of moving to Denver, get into a bigger city, be near the kids. Um, And I went to the first weekend of this, this mentorship program and and was talking to other therapists and you know we were we were sharing and and I came out very forwardly to that group and anyway during that weekend I just kind of got this download that it's time it's time for to to do something for my community to create um, a counseling initially counseling and eventually coaching service for lesbians and and I'm a couples therapist so primarily for couples but not exclusively Lisa Lisa does some individual therapy and coaching and some couples coaching too and so I just got the download that weekend and came home and said you know I think I want to do this and we've talked forever about moving I let's do it and that was end of January of 2018 oh, yeah. <laughs> and we moved in the, in August of 2018 so in a very few months so great. we so great. told our our group practice in in Pueblo we sold our home we found an office and a, a home yeah, to rent 
up here in Denver. Everything fell into place so beautifully. Yeah. It was just so exciting. Yeah. And it, we kept getting confirmation from the universe that this, <laughs> right, this is right. the right. Yeah. It sounds this like when things right. fall yeah. in place easily, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, the, our our youngest daughter came came the day that we moved. She came and she had a, a housewarming present, and it was a wine bottle holder. And I reached in to pull out the wine bottle and pulled out a baby right. bottle. Oh. She had just found out that she was pregnant, and and that was one of the things that we really wanted we to, wanted be to be near them, nearby the grandmas. Mm -hmm. um, and that child is going to be four next month. Yeah, Bethy's going to be four next month. And yeah. anyway, okay. that that too was like, okay, this is more confirmation. Mm -hmm. We're in the um, right place, right time. Yeah. So tell me, what are problems that lesbian couples have? Yeah, well, there's uh, there's a myriad of, of issues. A lot of times the first thing that I hear is we have communication problems um, okay. or, or there's been this distancing in our relationship. Uh, we're disconnected. Um, sometimes there are issues around, like Lisa said, there's a discrepancy in how out each, out each person sure. is. Mm -hmm. And so that, that can be something to work through. Mm -hmm. um, Often there's a sexual desire discrepancy. And so, you know, after that honey, that, that first honeymoon phase of a relationship where, where we tend to be more sexual and, and to, you know, hormonally um, mm -hmm. that that's happening. Uh, and then as time passes that one, one person's libido drops and the other one is like, Hey, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm, still, to I'm not ready to let that drop. Yeah. So that, that's often something we deal with. What else? Um, uh, past trauma and how to mm -hmm. yeah, how to manage that uh, individually and as a couple mm -hmm. I think there's a um uh, true for for um, heterosexual people as well but within relationships we often get triggered um on our past issues and struggles mm -hmm. and so within the relationship within the couple people try to figure out how to help each other feel safe and how to individually deal with their stuff so that it doesn't interfere with their relationship. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work that I do is that intersection between um, past traumas and um, self-management and the relationship that they're in or the, the relationship they hope for yeah. in the future. <clears throat> do you, so Linda, you've been a, um, a couples therapist for a long time. 20, 25 years or so. Yeah. Well, first of all, <clears throat> bless you because that is really hard work. I love, I, I, I love it. It's, and she's so good at it. So good. yeah, but I just, I like, as, as someone who's participated in couples therapy with my ex-husband and my wife, it is incredibly hard work. And I really give it, I would like, I, I have no desire to do that kind of work, but it's like I, those who can do it, bless you, because it's really, really hard work to be able to hold a safe space for two people in a, and the relationship. <laughs> It is yeah. just a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's so much misinformation out there about like lesbians and relationships. And my question is, have, do you find that the relationships between queer people versus heteronormative people, are they any more challenging than, or are they all the same issues across the board or typical issues across I the board? I think m both. Right? Okay. So a lot of them are typical issues that we find in every oh. type of relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and so 
a relationship is a relationship is a relationship at one level. Right. And I think for, for queer couples that there are some unique relation issues because they're same, same sex or, or queer some, some. So what are some of those issues? So like one of the ones for lesbian couples uh, with, with, is a tendency toward what's been labeled as merging mm-hmm. um, that that we we fall in love very quickly and we become the us we're a we so fast and and w- this is where we focus on our similarities mm-hmm. more than our differences mm-hmm. and I think that merging happens more more I don't know more deeply more quickly and it tends to last longer than maybe healthy in a relationship, mm-hmm. because that, that's good for the first stage of a relationship, uh, kind of a symbiotic stage. That's where we, we learn to trust each other and, and feel, feel like a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to grow into the next stage of development, which, which is, this is jargony, but it's been termed differentiation, right? So this, this is the stage where we're not so merged. We have a secure base together. Mm-hmm. We're, we're secure as a couple. And from that security, then we get to really develop our, our unique individual selves um, separately. So we have that combination of closeness and independence, security and freedom. So, so when the couple gets pat, like, so when you're going from symbiotic to different differentiation, is there resistance? Oh yeah. It's, it's a scary mm-hmm. time. It is. It's, um, it's, internally threatening because your person is moving away from you a little bit mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and so I to answer the original question I do think that this is a bigger challenge in in same-sex in in lesbian relationships because as women we're so, we're as from the time we're born we're trained to be the keepers of the emotional fires in in the tribe um, we're, we're the gatherers. Um, we we read each other emotionally. We want to please. We don't want to hurt each other's feelings, and and all of that makes it more scarier. I think to to speak up, to say I disagree with you. I want something different. Um, I don't see eye to eye on this with mm-hmm. you. Let's let's mm-hmm. talk about our differences. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's scary, mm-hmm. but, and there's the mm-hmm. fear often. And, and I struggle with this. There's the fear of if I upset you, then this is going to all fall apart, right? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the abandonment fear that so many of us have. But is that more due to your own personal trauma or the sense that you are, or because you're in a lesbian relationship? The fear of abandonment is probably more related to trauma. Yeah, um, personal trauma. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that um, factoring in also, there's a different social pressure on mm-hmm. queer relationships than absolutely and what heterosexual relationships um afford and so those things can be arrows that cause some pain in the relationship well yeah minority stress you know yes. I mean, that there's a lot of stress especially especially if you live in Tennessee these days where I live, there's a lot of stress going on right now. And, you know, it's really interesting because as a more newly out person than my wife, my wife's like, oh, this comes around, goes around, you know, she's Mm -hmm. very like, that's a nice perspective about it, you Mm -hmm. know, because when she came out in 1983, 84, it was illegal to be a lesbian in the state of Tennessee. Um, you know, yeah. so she's mm-hmm. like, oh, it just goes backwards and form you. It's and, and I'm like, 
panicking because I have come very recently from straight heteronormative privilege and I am not used to seeing my rights disintegrate really easily while somebody like her, maybe Linda, you know, you guys, you've seen this pendulum go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So you're Mm -hmm. sort of more used to it, you know? Yeah. I I would agree. I feel more scared about what's happening politically than Linda does. Yeah. Yeah. She's just like, "Eh." (laughs) you know, that t-shirt, I'm gay and I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So, you know, one of the things that people do when when you talk about relationships, we always talk about the red flags. And I don't really want to do that today. I would love to talk about the green flags and maybe end this, like this conversation, like what is, what is some green flags we can look for in our queer relationships that tell we're, we're on the right track. We may need to do some tweaking here and there, but there's some really good things about this relationship. And maybe we need to go to a couples counselor to work through some of this stuff. What are some green flags that's really important for people to look for in their first lesbian relationship? (laughs) Maybe their second and third, you know? Mm -hmm. Let's let's actually, let me backtrack. Let's do first lesbian relationship because most of my clients are often in their very first lesbian relationship. Uh So what are some green flags to look for? Yeah, green flags. Uh, well, of course, there's the falling in love, but that that is only one of many. So the, okay. the, the deep feeling of, oh, I'm into you. I'm attracted to you. You're the cat's meow. Um, I think, let's see, help me out with this. Pri- well, one, one thing I think might be a green flag is the fact that there are some differences between you. Mm-hmm. And I'm always excited when a couple tells me, well, we're so different from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's wonderful because that will help if they can tolerate those differences and really talk honestly with each other about them, that's going to help you have a dynamic relationship for a longer time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and, and the other green flag that goes along with that is we do talk about it. We talk about everything. Mm-hmm. We don't, that we don't good. hold back. We yeah, talk, yeah. we talk about anything and everything mm-hmm. and we do it with kindness. You know, if there's a difference we're we're not going to be un- unkind. Um, so we talk about everything. Another thing is um, we're prioritizing our relationship, even though there's pressures from the outside, sometimes from family that that's like, shouldn't be in a same-sex relationship or mm-hmm. wherever that's coming from. We, we go ahead and prioritize this no matter what the external pressures are. And then we're going to work on managing those outside pressures in a way that doesn't threaten the relationship. So we're going to, we're, we're pretty early going to, begin functioning as a team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another green flag is that we protect each other, mm-hmm. you know, and not just out there, but at home too. So we're kind. One of our green flags is we say thank you a lot, even for the things that other people, you know, might say, well, they, I don't need to thank they ought to be doing that. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we love thanking each other for that. I think, yeah, well I that. do that at a lot too, but also as somebody who was in a very traditional heteronormative marriage where I did everything, like everything except work full side, except work full time outside the home. Mm-hmm. Um, like to be in, I always joke mm-hmm. that I should have gotten a wife a long time ago, 
because I am grateful. I'm like very yeah. grateful somebody makes me my dinner because I have <laughs> yeah. a million dinners in my life. I am grateful that I walk in the house and I haven't had to tell somebody to clean up the house before I left. So that, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yes. Like I am yeah. like so incredibly grateful for mm -hmm. those things. So it really comes from a place of being like, oh, this meal's delicious. Thank you yeah. so much. It's, yeah. it's genuine. It's just about that genuine feeling, expressing it, sharing oh, it with your partner. Absolutely. So when somebody, okay, so they, I, it's really interesting too, because I do meet women that like their first lesbian, they're not in love and they know they're not. And, and so, you know, and, and often very quickly that relationship ends or moves on or something like that. But if you're somebody who's been dating a really long time, have had three or four or five relationships, um, people, you know, um, who are in their late fifties or sixties, because they didn't have the benefit of marriage have often had a lot of relationships just because you could leave easier than us old married. Exactly. <laughs> there was even, yeah. And for lesbians, I'm afraid there probably was that expectation from society that it won't last. It won't work. And, so, yeah, and we, right. you know, we're affected by social pressure. We, yeah, we self-fulfill, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, what are like, so like, so for someone who's more seasoned, is there anything else you would add for this? Like, mm -hmm. especially if you've had a lot of relationships in the past, because I think it's really hard sometimes for people to separate a new person out from this person and that person and this uh -huh. person and uh -huh. what's happened before. So what are mm -hmm. some other good things to look for in a new partner? I think one thing is, are you comfortable telling this person anything? Mm -hmm. It being vulnerable, being right. Mm -hmm. So being vulnerable. we're able to go into vulnerable space, talk about things that we don't normally talk about with other people, mm -hmm. um, and and about our feelings within the relationship. Not not just okay, I'm going to tell you my you know the dark secrets from my past, but also really process vulnerably what's happening here. That's a very powerful green sign. Mm -hmm. um, I think also practicing self-care, even in an early part of a relationship. So that oh, helps yeah. mitigate mm -hmm. that tendency toward merging. So we don't spend every single free minute with each other because Lisa does some gardening and I go for long walks or, you know, what, whatever mm -hmm. it is that we do for self-care that we're, we don't abandon that just to be with, you know this person mm -hmm. I think that that's an important I think that's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so people can find you at lesbiancouplesinstitute.com that's right yes. and okay. you know, there's, a, there's a free download if they want to um you know start getting something valuable right away there is a download there which is What's about how to it's a it's three three ways to reconnect with with your mm -hmm. person quickly mm -hmm. um and sometimes we can feel distance when we're been together a long time or even just a shorter time. And so there's some real practical uh, tips on how to reconnect. That is exciting. Um, so I always ask these questions at the end. And since you guys came out at very different times in our country, do you have a coming out song? <laughs> <laughs> I, we don't. And we you love that question. But we're going to have to find it. Yes. So, hey, if anybody wants to like give suggestions, I would really <laughs> love that. For me, it's going to be a song that was... Um, you know, I'm hearing things in movies and on on TV series. Uh, the music that was popular in the um, 70s and 80s 
And mm -hmm. those just hit my heart. So it has to be something old. Right? <laughs> I don't I know. Was, What's I, your coming out song? Oh, I have a bunch of them. I really like This Is Me, uh, which was oh, from yeah. Yeah, the Broadway show, Greatest Showman. Yeah. Yes. I have a bunch, Brave by Sarah. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. Got to see her perform. Um, oh. So I have a bunch of them. Um, some of them hit me more like, and then there's the ones like, so when my wife and I were courting each other, like a lot of lesbians, we sent a lot of music back and forth to each other. Mm -hmm. And like in the beginning, oh my God, I wouldn't want my kids to listen to some of this. <laughs> <laughs> because we were like, and, and it's funny because when we got married during the cocktail hour, we played that playlist. Oh, uh, nobody knew it was the playlist. It was, That's wonderful. That's yeah, wonderful. but we played the playlist. <laughs> and so a lot of those songs for me are associated with my coming out um, from Rihanna to, you know, uh, Kings of Leon and, you know, and stuff like that. So those songs are really associated with for me of my coming out. Um, Go ahead. I was gonna, I was just gonna say that one something I learned from Stan Tatkin. Well, we did. We trained with Stan together. Um, is that if you're ever feeling frustrated or disconnected or you know upset with your partner and and it it, mm. it endures, play that coming play that list, pull her in and dance in the kitchen. Yeah. Right. But Absolutely. just hearing those the songs that you associate as okay, these are our songs. Mm -hmm. very powerful for, yeah for reintroducing those feelings yeah I can yeah absolutely and I do we do play that playlist and I think else uh, the lesbian couples institute has a, a playlist we do have a created playlist. by one of our you gotta have our playlist <laughs> I want your playlist I, yeah yes. that'd be amazing <laughs> send it over that would be a great free download on your website <laughs> I oh thank you Linda I love yeah. that yeah <laughs> That's so great. Um, so do you ever have a, a book or a movie or magazine, a magazine or, or, or podcast or something where you read something or heard something that really just blew you away and changed your perspective on things? So I really appreciated Glennon Doyle's book, who the title. Untamed. Yes, Untamed. Untamed. I really, really, really that was awesome. like that. And I enjoy listening to that podcast. Podcast. Uh, we can do hard things. We can do hard things. So I, I, I find her, her work and her stories really, they hit the spot for me. Well, and she's so vulnerable. Yeah. She puts herself out there all the time. And, yeah. and yeah. she's like currently just had a recent diagnosis, I think, of bipolar. Um, and so she's talking all, she's being very she's, open about she, that. Yeah. She's so, yeah. so transparent. Yeah. 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 I Bless her heart. That. That's a struggle. And also there are some wonderful creators throughout the ages that had bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. oh. mm -hmm. And it's true. Um, send her mm -hmm. some good vibes. Yeah. 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 And how about you, Lisa? Pasha, that is a really hard question for me. Um, you like Elizabeth what? Gilbert's work. I, I like Elizabeth Gilbert's work a lot. Um, and of course, I like Brene Brown's stuff, really mm -hmm. normalizing and encouraging vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of um, seeing relationships differently, Stan Tatkin's book, Wired for Love, mm -hmm. has been 
great. I mean, we, we trained with him and we are able to use his work in our practices with couples all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that was a pretty succinct shift for me in understanding that security and developing security between you is the base for being able to really go out into the world and, and live in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. I, I want to like stretch out my arms and put everyone on a small screen. Mm-hmm. So as a launching pad, that's a lovely book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so many books. I'm, I'm a reader. I just love to read it. I'm always telling Linda this or that from a book I'm reading. Yeah. But right I'm, this minute, I can't think of the one. Lisa, I'm curious. I, I listened to Brene Brown before I came out and then I listened to her after. Like, oh. have you done that? Yeah. No, I wasn't aware of her before prior yeah because when I like listened to her uh her initial TED talk that got all the press um about the power of vulnerability Mm -hmm. like I it it made so much sense to like like comparing it to my own coming out journey Mm -hmm. and wholehearted living and showing up even despite the shame and the guilt and all that stuff like that it was like when she when she talks about it, it sounds like the women that I work with who come out later in life that mm-hmm. it's like this whole, mm-hmm. it, it just go back and listen to it. You'll be I will. With, I'll that, that. with that framework in mind. Uh-huh. And there's another author that I like a lot. Um, Martha Beck. Oh yeah. Martha Beck. Um, the way of integrity was mm-hmm, a really, excellent. that was also a really powerful book. I thought, mm-hmm. and, and she's queer and she's queer. She's in a thruple actually, which she I is, think, yeah, is which is very interesting. I, I don't know much. All I know she's in one. Yep. I don't know much anything else mm-hmm. besides that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hope she'll, she'll write more and talk more about that um, yeah. because um, poly relationships come up fairly, fairly often in my practice. Um, and the struggles with them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I have found that, especially with people that are younger, like yes. more twenties, thirties, yeah. Yeah. very much more into polyamorous relationships. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk to you mm-hmm. about that sometime because I'm sort of, I know a little bit, but I don't know much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so people ask me questions and I'm like, I'm not your girl. Lisa's your girl. Lisa's your girl. I'll send them your way, Lisa. Okay. Okay. People are like, how do you navigate this? Can you go to a polyamorous? We this is a whole we can do this. Yeah, Yeah. that's an yeah. And it's it's a challenge, but it's I think that it's an exciting challenge. Um honestly, it's not something that we're doing. We're Mm -hmm. we're securely attached to each other, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um to just each other and that. So I think it's quite a challenge for um, people that are used to a two-person relationship. Yeah, that's what I was going. That was my question. I think it's really hard to go from a monogamous to a polyamorous relationship. And I like in my, in my work, I see women sometimes, you know, opening their previously monogamous marriage or going to open marriage or going to a polyamorous relationship. Mm -hmm. And I have often thought of that as um, part of the grief process in the bargaining because Uh, they're trying to like figure out how to keep Uh all the pieces in the air at the same time I find also too that typically it only lasts about a year or two you know Mm -hmm. and then somebody says I can't do this anymore so Mm -hmm. I think it's I I I look at in the framework of grief Mm -hmm. so how's your I'm sorry go ahead I I was gonna say I think that both things are true that 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 struggle is real and sometimes doesn't last a long time and also, I'm hearing from people that 
some people just feel their orientation is a poly person, a poly relationship person. And that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And which is, you know, it's super interesting. And there, I can see that some of the same skills of differentiation and communication and all of those things are equally important there. Well, you're going to have to come back on the show and talk to me. (laughs) Oh dear, I'm going to book you today because that is a huge, huge topic of interest with my clients. So how would you describe your life today? Both of you? Oh, I feel so blessed and lucky. Yeah. We, we just had an, our 18th anniversary. Congratulations. This week. Three, on Tuesday, whenever that yeah, was, two, week. three days yeah. ago. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, I'm going to reveal our ages, but I'm 61 and Linda just turned 60. No, I'm turning 60 in a few weeks. Oh, no. Oh, no. She's already 60. Um, and so what I was going to say though, is that we're really at a dynamic place in our lives and our practices where we're taking on new projects and learning new things and also using the base of um, how to help couples have great relationships and how to help individuals learn how to do that too. Um, so it's, it's really fun. And we love being in Denver. We're foodies and we love the mountains and we love our grandchildren. We just adore our grandchildren. (laughs) So I would like to have, uh, 36 hours in a day to spend all my time with the kids, all my time in the mountains and all my time at restaurants. (laughs) And then of course we need a long time. So life is so it's it's very good. Really sweet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending the morning with me here today. It was so nice to talk up to you both, to hear about your work and to hear your individual stories. And it's so nice to meet you, Lisa. We haven't met before. And I really appreciate hearing a little bit about your story and you're going to have to come back. We're going to have to do it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. It was was fun to do Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzel.com.